book of Jonah chapter 2. As we come to this part in the book of Jonah, we were reminded last week about how God pursues us, how he doesn't let us go, and how he doesn't leave us in the place that we are. Kind of an appropriate message for Father's Day. As we come into chapter 2 today in the book of Jonah, we are going to see where Jonah prays to God, and he prays from this difficult circumstance that he has found himself in. He has been swallowed by this great fish, and in the belly of this great fish, he begins to pray. I want us to think this morning about the fact that God, when we do not listen to him, as Jonah did not, That God, as he pursues us, will correct us often in such a way as to bring us back to himself. Again, kind of an appropriate message for Father's Day is that is often the role of fathers to correct our children and to bring them back into the way that they should go. Before I read Jonah chapter 2, I want to share with you a familiar passage as we have just left the book of Hebrews not many weeks ago. And in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer says this, And if you've forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. Think about that if you'll stand with me as we read Jonah Chapter 2. Again, this prayer is from the belly of the fish. Verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and, I, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. You may be seated. This prayer that Jonah makes is very unique because we see that he is praying while he is in the belly of the fish, 
But as we come to the end of the prayer, we see that he has been saved by God. And it is in a most unique manner that God saves Jonah. See, he's in the belly of the fish when he's praying, but in verses 2 through at least verse 6, he is drowning, and he describes this feeling of drowning in the ocean, of, of dying at the point where God comes to save him. As a matter of fact, there are some who would comment on the book of Jonah who would say that, in fact, he is dead by the point where the fish swallows him and God brings him back to life. They would draw that from these passages that talk about him literally being in the place of the dead in verse 2, this place called Sheol, which in the Old Testament is where the dead went. And so Jonah is facing here some pretty dire consequences. But all of these consequences are a direct result of the fact that Jonah decided he was not going to listen to God. And as we have seen, as we have been in Jonah so far, God is not pleased with our disobedience. We realize that in life, there are many different things that we can do that have grave consequences for us. See, we, we have to understand, and I think sometimes these two things get separated. Just because God forgives us of something doesn't mean that there's not going to be some consequences for having done it. I believe God can forgive you of anything that you've done. But if you go rob a bank and you get caught, you're standing before the judge and the jury telling them, hey, God has forgiven me, is great and all, but they're going to lock you up. If you go out and you kill somebody, God can forgive you of that. I believe that. The Bible talks about people being forgiven of that, but trust me when I say there are grave consequences for doing so. And so Jonah here in this point where he begins to find God's forgiveness in chapter 2 is still having to deal with the consequences of what he has done. He got these guys out on the boat and they were in a bad place as this storm comes upon them. And, and the only way that the storm will be stopped is if Jonah is thrown overboard. He has to deal with the consequences of running away from God. See, God does not leave us to remain in our sin. Even if we run far away from Him, He, he doesn't abandon us so that we're just stuck out there with nothing, with no hope and no direction. He doesn't leave us comfortable out there. It's one of the things that worry me so much about people who abandon the church and they go out and they're going to they're gonna do things on their own. And you see that they're completely satisfied. They have, they have no conviction about it. It's not tearing them apart that they're apart from the fellowship of the people of God. It's a sad sign for me. Because God doesn't do that to his people. He doesn't leave his people out there. 
wandering around. And so Jonah is having to deal with the consequences of his actions. I want us to think this morning about the fact that there are times when we disobey God that we're going to fall under what the book of Hebrews refers to there in chapter 12 that I read a minute ago as God's chastisement. That's a word we don't use a whole lot anymore. I think it's a pretty cool word. It's got a lot of, of meaning and depth to it. You know, we say now we get on to somebody. You, know, you get on to your kids. You want your kids to understand you're being serious. You want to chastise them. As a matter of fact, if you look up the word chastise in the old way that it once was used many, many generations ago, it often involved verbal correction along with a beating. I'm not saying that's what you do. I'm just saying that's what the word meant. There's something here more than wagging your finger at somebody. There's something here more than grounding your children or taking away their cell phone for a day or two. When God talks about his chastisement, he is is looking at his people and he is correcting them with force for their own good. That whole section back in the book of Hebrews is about God showing us his love by correcting us. It's almost this sense of the child who's about to run out into the road. You do whatever it takes to keep them out of the road. If they're running full force and you had to grab their arm to keep them from being run over, it would be better to have a broken arm than being hit by a car. This is what God is doing with Jonah. Jonah is going in a direction that leads to destruction. There can be nothing good that happens if he flees from the presence of God. And so God grabs him off of that boat and he throws him into the water and he drowns him and he's swallowed by this fish that God has appointed. That's that's being chastised by God. That's not messing around. That's not a pat on the back. That's not an encouraging pop on the rear end. That's serious. And sometimes God has to do that with us because we do not listen otherwise. The book of Romans tells us very clearly that all things work together for good for those who love God, those whom He loves. Well, trust me, sometimes bad things happening to us is for our own good. See, sometimes God shows us his love even in the belly of a great fish. I want us to see how that works. Because our goal as believers in Christ, as the children of God, is to not need to be chastised. Think about last week, we talked about God's pursuing us in all of these seven different areas. But at the end, what did we say? We don't want to have to be pursued. Because we want to cling close to God. We want to be near where He is and and be with what He is doing. So, look here, I want to tell you, it's the same thing here. We don't want to get to the point where God has to correct us. But sometimes He does. Look beginning in verse 1 and 2. 
We see here that God answers Jonah even in the depths where he has fallen. Jonah prays here in the belly of the fish. He calls out in verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. He is in a precarious situation. He's drowning. And it doesn't really matter how good a swimmer you are when you're in the middle of the ocean. At some point, you're going to give in. You might swim for a little while, you might hold yourself up for a little while, but at some point you're going to drown. And so here Jonah is in the belly of the fish and he begins to pray for God's rescue. He begins to talk about when he was drowning in the water and God hears him when he cries. See, there's good news for us because... It doesn't matter the depths that we have fallen to. Our God is still there where he can hear us. I don't know how many people I've encountered, and I'm sure you have as well. They they look at their life, and they look at what is going on. They look at what they've done. They look at where they've been. And they come to the conclusion that it would be impossible for God to reach out to them where they are at. They look at all the stuff that they've done all the times that they have been disobedient. They look at all the trouble they've gotten in, and they do not believe that God could reach out to them there. It's too far. I'm too far gone. I've done too many bad things. And yet here we see, if we go back to chapter 1, we see point after point after point. Where Jonah directly disobeys God. He's told to go to Nineveh and he turns and he goes somewhere else. He's he's told to go and preach and he goes and gets on this boat. He's told to go to Nineveh and he goes toward Tarshish, which is the exact opposite way of going. He disobeys constantly. And he finds himself sinking in the ocean, drowning toward his death. He finds himself with seaweed wrapped around his head. He finds himself in the belly of Sheol with the water closing over top of him, the the flood surrounding him. And yet he he says with with great insistence, he, he says with great faith that when he cried out, even in that dark moment, God heard him. Why would God do that? Here is someone who is constantly disobeyed. Why not let him drown and not worry about him anymore? Why not go and find another prophet to go and preach to Nineveh? Why not get someone else to do Jonah's job because he simply can't get it done? But God hears him in the depths. Think about what's to come if you're not familiar with the book of Jonah. In chapter 3 and in chapter 4, Jonah really doesn't get his act that well cleaned up. I mean, yeah, he he gets on the road and he goes and he does what he said. As a matter of fact, we'll see in chapter 3 that the word comes to him again. The word of God comes to him once again and he goes to Nineveh. But by the end of the book, he is grumpy that God has saved thousands of people. He is more upset about the death 
of a weed, a a plant that had grown up and had no significance. He's more upset about that than the fact that God was about to destroy thousands of people. He's not really a poster child for preachers. I mean, they really wouldn't be putting Jonah's picture on the cover of a book about how to do church or how to win the lost to Christ. It's not going to happen. So how is it then that God looks down at Jonah in this pit of despair and reaches out to him and listens to him? It's because God, God loved Jonah. In spite of all of this, in spite of all the things that he has done, all the times that he has disobeyed God, God loves Jonah. And he tells us in the book of Hebrews that those who he loves, he will discipline to bring back to himself. And so instead of letting him drown, God saves him. And so for you and I, when we are in those places of great darkness, when we're in the depths of despair, we need to understand that God still hears us. And it doesn't matter how far you have run. It doesn't matter how many things that you have done. God is still listening. And I know that's hard to believe. Because we do rotten things. We bring great shame upon God and His church. We disobey Him and we run and we have a lack of faith and we do not live up to the standards that we say we believe in. Our lives are often dripping with hypocrisy, so it's hard to believe then that God would still listen, but even in the depths of our sin, He's still there. But Jonah finds out that even though God is listening, that God is still going to discipline him. Look beginning in verse 3. For you cast me into the deep. Now, if you go back and read chapter 1. Is that how it happened? It doesn't seem to be how it happened, right? you go back and read chapter 1, what happens? Jonah is cast into the deep by who? The other sailors, correct? They don't really want to do it. They're throwing everything else overboard. They even try to row toward the shore so that they can get there, but none of that works. And so they throw Jonah overboard and they pray to God, God, do not hold us accountable for this man's blood. Because, I mean, they, they, they were sailors. They understood, right? You throw the guy overboard, he's dead. He's going to drown. And they didn't want to be held responsible for that. And yet Jonah comes here in chapter 2 as he is praying to God. And he says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. I think at the point where Jonah... Has the lot cast upon him? You know, they're casting the lots there back in chapter 1, and it falls on Jonah. And they begin to question him, who are you? What have you done? Why have you brought this upon us? I think Jonah realizes then that this is not good. And it's not going to end well. He's even the one who 
tells them at some point, you're, you're going to have to throw me. He says in verse 12 of chapter 1, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. He realizes he's messed up. And he, I think, believes at this point he's going to pay with his life. That God is going to judge him and strike him down dead right here in the ocean. And so when he gets to this point, he, he realizes that it's God who is punishing him for what he has done. Think about the worst place you've ever been. Most dangerous, smelliest, whatever, however you define worst. How does that place compare to the belly of a fish? We went fishing last weekend. You probably saw on Facebook if you're on there, my boys gutting fish. It's pretty nasty, to be honest with you. I mean, it's just, it's not pleasant. You know, we go to a restaurant, most of us here, we go to a restaurant and our food has already been prepared. But go to a place where they prepare your food. I'm talking early on in the process. You know, when they ding that cow in the head. Or where you take, uh, where you take deer to be processed, if you do it like I do it. See, I don't even do it myself. But I hang around sometimes. It's not pleasant. And this is where Jonah is being punished too. Think about the worst place you've ever been, the, the worst circumstances you've ever had to been in. Is it as bad as three days in the belly, stomach of a fish? Now, full disclosure, and I think you're all aware of this, I believe this actually happened. If you don't, you got a problem because Jesus believed this actually happened. Three days, that guy was in the stomach of a nasty fish. That was his punishment. As his chastisement for disobedience. See, God doesn't mess around. We like, to, we like to make everything fluffy, you know. God calls us to, to bear a cross. That's what the New Testament says. And we like to think that that cross is, you know, when somebody's not nice to us at work. That's the cross that we got to bear. We think when we get in a little bit of financial difficulty, in other words, we don't have enough money to do everything we exactly want, that that's the cross we got to bear. Jonah's chastisement from God to bring him to the place that God wanted him to be revolved around spending three days in the stomach of a fish. A place where he should have died and didn't. I mean, really, if you know how this works, I'm not a, a biology teacher, and I actually didn't do well in biology at all, but I'm pretty sure that when you eat something, it goes into your stomach, and if it sits there very long, the acids in your stomach and the enzymes and all that fun stuff work on it, and it moves on out of your system. You're not supposed to be there three days. But that's where Jonah's at, and that's his punishment for not listening to God. He goes on. He says in verse 4, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. 
Not only is he cast into the deep, but now he has been driven away from the sight of God. Verse 5, the water closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. If you've ever been close to drowning, you know as you're drowning... Even if you've been in the ocean and you've got flipped over by a wave and you're just underwater a little longer than you wanted to be, your body goes into panic mode because you begin to swallow water and you know it's not supposed to be there. And it's, it, it's one of the reasons why it's so dangerous rescuing someone who's drowning because they panic and they can drown you as well. He's describing that. With this vivid detail that as he gets to the bottom of the ocean, the seaweed is wrapped around his head. And he, he has this, this feeling, he knows that his life is over, he's drowning, and he, he is at the bottom of the ocean. That's his chastisement for not listening to God. He says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. It's It's over. He's going to drown, and he's never going to get home. They're never going to, he's never going to wash up anywhere where they can bury him. He's going to drown and stay at the bottom of the ocean forever, and that's his punishment. See, that's serious. We don't take it seriously. Again, this is a kid's story, and you can go rent a cartoon movie and watch it, and trust me, they don't do chapter two. Like, that just kind of, it's kind of gone. Or you'll see the pictures. I love the pictures with Jonah in the belly of the whale and he's got like a candle down there. It's like, hey, look. Hey, you don't like, if you're claustrophobic, this is not for you. If you're afraid of the dark, this is not for you. If you don't like icky places, this is not for you. It's not for me. Yet this is where he goes because God punishes him. God corrects him. God disciplines him because he didn't listen but there's still hope. There's still hope to be found even in this punishment. We don't have to go on to the end to find hope. God mixes those two things together and we need to remember that. Even when God is correcting us, there is hope. Look, there's hope even in these verses. Again, verse 4. I'm driven away from your sight. What does he say? Yet I shall look upon your holy temple. How is that possible? He's going to drown. He's going to drown right here. That's his feeling. He's going to drown here in the ocean. Yet he has this in his mind that somehow one day he's going to return to the land of promise. He's going to return to the land that he is from. And he's going to be able to look at the temple of God. Again, at the end of verse 6, he's down in this land where the bars closed upon him forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. One of the reasons, again, that people believe that Jonah was actually dead and God brought him back to life, that he had literally died and went to the place of the dead and God rose up his life from that place again. God brings him out of this place that is full of complete and utter and total despair and brings up his life once again. Some of you, if you were honest with yourself and you looked at your life, you would see that some of the things that you're dealing with, some of the things that you're facing today, are because you are running away from God. 
Now, if we go to the New Testament and we look at Jesus as he is talking to his disciples, they see this guy who, who has been, who's been disabled from birth. And they want to know, you know, why is he like this? Is it because of something his parents did or is it because of something he did? And Jesus says, you don't even understand how things work. Because that's not how they work. That's not how I do things. That's not how I operate. He doesn't punish us like that, but he does chastise us. He does discipline us to bring us into the place he wants us to be. Maybe you've got some things you're dealing with, some struggles that you're going through, and the reality is they're upon you, and you're dealing with them because of some things you're not doing that God has told you to do, or because you're doing some things that God wants you to have no part of. And so he's correcting. Sometimes it's gentle. Sometimes it's a small voice. God's speaking and saying, this far and no further. You can go here, but don't go there. And then sometimes it's a storm in the middle of the ocean, and you're thrown overboard, and you're drowning type situation. And some of you have been there. Some of you may be there right now. Well, there's hope in all of that. Because God is not this mean, angry God who sits up in heaven with, with lightning bolts coming out of his fingers, and he, he strikes down people who he doesn't like. Trust me, if that's what he did, we'd all be wiped out. See, we like to think, well, that'd just be the people over in the Middle East, or that'd be the people over in Asia, or that'd be all the people in New York and D.C. And listen, I was just in D.C., and I can understand that sentiment. But that's not how God works. God doesn't worry so much about all the people out there who don't know him, who aren't his children. He, he doesn't worry so much about them right now when it comes to dishing out chastisement. That's coming one day. Right now, his, his work and his chastisement has to do with correcting his people. But we need to see that in all of that and everything that he is doing, there is still hope. See, God doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't get out of our life. He doesn't get out of our way. I think we've all had that experience either as parents or as children where that's what we wanted from our parent if we were the kid, Right? Or that's what our children wanted if we were the parent. You know, get out of my life. You know, they say that in 10 minutes later they're at the kitchen table wanting to eat something. Or they don't go pack their bags and get out and give you that free space in your house. But, you know, get out of my life. It's none of your business. You know, sometimes as parents you just have to do that, right? You just have to let them go. And they'll mess up a while. And most likely if you've done a good job, they'll come back. Sometimes they don't. But at least they know where they can go if they mess up. Well, guess what? God stays in our business. He doesn't get out. He doesn't go away. He doesn't let us drown and get eaten by a fish and die. He stays with us. He pursues us. And even when we are being chastised by him, he is doing it for our benefit and because of his love. So what does this show us? Look in verse 7 through 10. What does it show us that God would chastise us into following him and to correct us? 
It shows us in verses 7 through 10 that our joy is found in our obedience toward God. Our joy is found in our obedience. That seems odd because we are often a people who are stubborn and hard-headed and we want to do it our own way. And we believe that we'll find happiness by doing it our own way. And nothing could be further from the truth. The only joy that we can find in this life is in our obedience to God. Everything else is superficial. Everything else will pass away. It will not stand the test of time. And in the end, it's very pointless. Look what he says. He says, when my life was fleeting or fainting away, verse 7, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. He cries out to God as his life is fading away. And his heart's desire is to obey. He knows that those who put their hope in idols forsake their chance at a love that never ends. When we put our hope in something other than God, we put our hope in something that will one day pass away. And it will not be there to give us hope and security. But he's not going to be like that. He's not going to do that. He's, he's going to abandon that way of thinking. So he says in verse 9, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Everything that Jonah has encountered in the book so far is a direct result of him refusing to obey God. And when we refuse to obey God, there is no hope and there is no joy available. Again, all we have to do is turn on the television and look at the people across our own country who have decided that they're going to find joy and peace and happiness in all the things of this world. And yet they are so miserable. When you leave here today, go by the grocery store, go to the counter, get you a pack of gum while you're standing to check out. Look at the front of the magazine. It's depressing. I mean, it's, it's, it's depressing. And I think the reason that people buy those, the reason that people as they're standing in line read those and they can't look away, is because they can make such a connection with it. Because they have a life that is not glamorous. Most people have a life that, that does not result in them making millions of dollars or being famous or on the cover of magazines. And yet, they can relate to so much of what is going on because we, even people in the church, have put their hope in things of this world. And so many times we buy into the lie that the things of this world can make us happy. If we just had a little more money, we would be happy. If we just had a few more friends, we would be happy. If we just had a little bit better job, we would somehow be happy. And nothing could be further from the truth. Jonah looks around him. He looks at the world. He thinks about the majority of the people that lived in the world at the time that he lived. And they would go into their homes and they would go into their temples of worship and they would bow down before these idols that could give them nothing. 
These idols that when they were stuck out in the middle of the ocean, when their boat was breaking up, when they were about to die, could give them nothing. But he realized that his God, the one true and only God, not only could send a storm that could tear apart a boat, not only could cause the casting of lots to fall on Jonah, but then once he was cast overboard, could save him from dying even in the belly of a fish. And so he realizes in verse 8, there is no hope in idols. They forsake their hope of steadfast love when we put our hope in idols. But he says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's the only place that he could find his hope even as he was drowning there in the ocean. See, oftentimes we ignore this idea that our joy is only found in obedience. We, we somehow believe that we can find joy or hope in the things of this world or in our rituals or anything like that, but it doesn't work that way. See, the things that we face are often a result of our disobedience to God. Circumstances that he wanted to keep us away from, we run toward, and then he must save us from. See, we think that we can do things in this life, and the actions will have no consequences. But our God is holy, and he pursues us. Sometimes it even means that we have to get put over the side of a ship. Sometimes it means that we've got to see our world around us crumble. Because it wasn't real anyway. We'd build it up with our falsehood. And God puts it away. See, I think many Christians want to tempt God in this respect. We want to see how far we can push the line. But God tells us that our joy is only found in our obedience to him. So chapter 2 ends as Jonah gets thrown up on the dry land. Think about this with me. God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh. He was ready to crash a ship to make it happen. And even as Jonah disobeys and he, he's thrown into the ocean and he, he begins to drown or he does drown and the fish comes and, and eats him. In the end, what, where does he end up at? While all of this is going on and this, this three days of, of chastisement, this three days of God's discipline that, that, is, that is to correct him and put him back on the right path. And we get to the end of chapter 2 and the fish comes and spits him up or throws him up on dry land. Apparently back on the dry land that he needed to be on to start with. The fish didn't spit him up on an island somewhere. He would have been stuck. The fish didn't spit him up in Tarshish where he was trying to get. He might have been tempted to stay. The fish spits him up on dry land, headed toward the place that God wanted him to go. God's persistent. And God wanted to save the people of Nineveh. 
he wanted Jonah to be the one who preached that message. And so he pursued him wherever Jonah ran to. But all the while, God wasn't just stepping back and letting Jonah do whatever. God was pushing him toward the place he needed to go. Friends, this morning we shouldn't be surprised if we end up a place we don't want to be when we remain disobedient. Don't miss this this morning. Our God, the God who created the entire universe, the God who you say, if you're here this morning and you claim the name of Christ, you say that he has saved you from your sin and saved you for an eternity in heaven with him forever. This God has high expectations for his children. None of us in this room have low expectations for our children. If you do, you're a bad parent. And today on Father's Day, you should repent of that. Who has low expectations of their children? Who's satisfied when their kids get bad grades? Who's satisfied when their kids get in trouble, do dumb things, get arrested? Who's satisfied with that? Nobody. We want our kids to be the best. We want them to be better than everybody else's kids. And if you don't, I do, and mine will probably end up better than yours because you didn't have high enough expectations. Well, the creator of the universe has infinitely higher expectations than we could ever have. Because when he looks at you, I get this, when he looks at you, he no longer sees the sinner that you once were. He looks at you and that sin has been erased. He looks at you and he sees the blood of his son that covered and forgave your sins. So therefore, he has high expectations. He had them of Jonah, he had them of every other prophet, and he has them of you. So therefore, he is going to do, just as we would as parents, whatever is necessary to see his plan carried out. How many parents in this room have sacrificed so that their kids could achieve higher expectations? You sacrificed so your kid could go to college. You sacrificed so they could get the best education, so that they could have the tools and resources they need to be more than you were. God has those expectations for us. And so sometimes we need to look around us and see that the things that are happening are a direct result of us not obeying God. See, Jonah ran. God told him to go, and he turned and ran away. And it wasn't until he was lost in the depths of the sea, until he was in the deepest darkest place you could get that he turned and went in the direction that God wanted him to go. He even took a fish, scooping him up and carrying him back to land. Why would we ever want to let it get to that point? Can you imagine what Jonah looked like and he smelled like when he got out of that fish and he walked into Nineveh? No wonder those people repented. I mean, goodness, somebody walked in there, walked in here like that right now, we'd do whatever. I mean, that's, that's horrible. He became a visual testimony to God's judgment. 
Now imagine that. He's going to walk into Nineveh. We'll look at it next week, but some of you are going to be gone next week, I know, and vacations are going to be starting. So let me, let me get you ahead just a little bit. Jonah walks into Nineveh coming out of the fish, and he would be a visual representation of God's judgment. He's telling them, hey, God's going to judge you, and they could look at him and go, okay, yeah, his God's doing something because that's terrible. God doesn't want it. God, God doesn't want it to get to that point with us. Because it wasn't his appearance that caused the people to repent. It was the message of God. And that message was going to be the same whether he went the first time or he went the 50th time. What God wants us to do is go the first time. When God says go, we say yeah. When God says jump, we say how high. I mean, it's that thing. It's that very thing. We, God, we will go. Whatever you want me to do. How do you want me to do it? I'm, I'm going. I'm moving that way. You tell me as we go. That's what God wants from us. But Jonah ends up in the belly of a great fish because he remained disobedient. So I want to encourage you this morning. Are there some things happening in your life that you really don't like? And they're not because of the economy. They're not because of a situation at work. They're not because of broken relationships. They're because you're just not listening to God. And he is trying to get your attention. And as soon as those thoughts pop into your head, the call that God gives for us is to respond and obey and go. And I would imagine in a room this size with the number of people that are here this morning, there are plenty of you here who have been running away from God, going in the opposite direction, trying to get away from him as fast as you can. Well, you're never going to get away from him. And the tragedy would be if one day he stopped pursuing you. Not that you got away and you're free and clear and you didn't have to listen to him anymore. But if one day he stopped pursuing you. Because what that means, that's the gravest of consequences. It's worse than any discipline we could have. If God had let Jonah drown here, what a terrible sign it would have been of where Jonah was at with God. But instead he pursues him. And he saves him. And he wants to do that for you this morning. But he calls us to stop running and to follow him. We you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, we are so grateful that as we look at your word, God, we see that your discipline and correction is for our good. God, you correct us and you, you steer our lives and you guide our hearts so that we will obey you. So that we'll follow this great and perfect plan that you have for our life. So that we will see great things accomplished in our midst. And God, so that your word and your gospel will go forth. So, Lord God, as we, as we bring this service to a close in a few moments, God, I know that there are those here who have been running from you. And, God, today you're speaking to their heart. You're, you're showing them those areas that they're running from, how they're, 
they're disobeying you and God, how they're not living up to your standards, how they're not going where you would have them to go. They're not listening or doing what you would have them to do. And God, I just pray that in this time that you're speaking to their heart and God, they will respond to you. God, and I pray that you would show them the hope that they have even in your discipline. God, we're so grateful that we have God, we have mercy and grace in your name. And that, God, you call on us to come and follow you. God, we thank you and praise you for all that you've done and all that you're going to do. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we have a closing song. I want to invite you to come and respond to the message that God has given us in his word. If there's some things that you're running from, there's some things that you're not doing that you know God would have you to do, today's the day to make that right. And maybe you've just been running from Him. You've never trusted in God. You've never placed your faith in Christ. You've never followed after Him. Today is the day to do that. Don't wait till tomorrow. Follow Him today. The great God of the universe has offered you His forgiveness and love and mercy. And he calls on you to respond. Would you do so as we sing?